0: Tonight
1: on The Readout. Lord, when babies
2: die at a church school, it is time for us to move beyond thoughts and prayers. Remind our lawmakers of the words of the British statesman Edmund Burke all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing
1: senate chaplain barry black appealing to lawmakers to do something about gun violence but one of the parties has made it clear where they stand and it is not with american children who just want to grow up a republican congressman admitting today We're not going to fix it. Also tonight, Trump's goons wanted to murder him. So why is it taking a court order to force Mike Pence to testify about his life and death ordeal on January 6th? And gone are the days of a functioning House of Representatives. Kevin McCarthy has handed the keys to the Insurrection Caucus, which has no agenda except punishing their political opponents and doing the dirty work for Donald Trump. Former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, widely considered one of the greatest to ever do the job, and the current Speaker Emerita, will join me right here in studio. But we begin the readout tonight nearing the possible end of Mike Pence's days of obedience. After trying to have it both ways, telling a private gathering what he actually felt about Donald Trump's role in potentially getting him killed during the January 6th insurrection, while fighting tooth and nail to avoid testifying about it. Donald Trump's reek, for you Game of Thrones fans, may have to turn back into Theon Greyjoy and grow a spine. (laughs) A federal judge says the former vice president must testify before the federal grand jury investigating the insurrection and Donald Trump's plot to overturn the election. Pence had argued that his role as president of the Senate granted him immunity under the speech and debate clause of the Constitution. Federal Judge James Bosberg ruled that while Pence does have some limited protections because of that, the immunity does not prevent him from testifying about conversations related to alleged illegality on Trump's part. We certainly know that Pence has a lot to say about the insurrection. Earlier this month, again, behind closed doors, he told a crowd of politicos at the gridiron dinner that Trump's reckless words endangered his family and, quote, I know history will hold Donald Trump accountable, unquote. But what about your accountability, Mike? As the highest-ranking former Trump official and single most important witness, you still have to be dragged, kicking and screaming, to comply with special counsel Jack Smith's investigation? Why? Among the conversations that Mike Pence will have to account for, the moment Trump was told the plot to persuade Pence to toss Electoral College votes was illegal. He was told as much during a January 4th meeting at the White House, straight from the mastermind behind the plot, John Eastman. Pence's own counsel at the time, Greg Jacob, testified to that in front of the January 6th committee.
3: Did Dr. Eastman admit in front of the president that his proposal would violate the Electoral Count
0: Act? Mr. Eastman acknowledged that that was the case, um, that even what he viewed as the more politically palatable option would violate several provisions, but he thought that we could do so because, in his view, the Electoral can Act was unconstitutional.
1: Pence himself was also publicly, has also publicly shared his take in an op-ed, writing after Eastman spoke, quote, I turned to the president who was distracted and said, Mr. President, did you hear that? Even your lawyer doesn't think I have the authority to overturn electoral votes. Of course, Pence was, has notably refused to answer any of that under oath. Under today's ruling, Pence can remain silent on things specifically related to his role in Congress that day when, as a reminder, a violent mob outside was calling for him to be hanged and even brought a noose. Although in a sign of his ongoing deference to Trump, he has previously indicated that he is willing to take his fight to avoid testifying all the way to the Supreme Court. In an interview tonight, Pence remained predictably gelatinous.
3: Look, I, let me be clear. I, uh, I, I have nothing to hide. Uh, I have a constitution to uphold. I, I upheld the constitution on January 6th. Uh, I believe we did our duty uh, that day under the constitution of the United States. And in this matter, I thought it was important uh, that we stand on that constitutional principle again. But, but we're currently speaking to our attorneys uh, about uh, the
1: proper way forward. <sighs> Joining me now. Eugene Robinson, Washington Post columnist and MSNBC political analyst and Nick Ackerman, former assistant U.S. attorney and former assistant special Watergate prosecutor. It is kind of exhausting, Eugene. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the, the main yeah. victim, right? The yeah. person who was going to be hanged. There was a noose outside for him. Is exactly. The, is the answer to his gelatinous spine and his continuing performance as Reek rather than Theon Greyjoy. <laughs> um, is it this headline? Can I put it up? This is The Hill. Pence headed back to Iowa amid 2024 speculation. As if.
2: As if. I mean, we're, you know, what sort of political following does he have? What sort of base does he have? Uh, Where is he? He's nowhere. And he's going nowhere fast. I mean, he won't get off that fence that he balances yeah. himself on so carefully. He won't you know, do what I think any other person would do, go against the person who tried to have him killed. Um, and he won't go to the pro-Trump side. He tries to play it both ways. And it it absolutely makes no sense. It was still like perfect Mike Pence that the one time he's actually critical of Trump is, you know, at this exclusive Politico, Journal dinner where there are no cameras. So there's never any video of that. (laughs) So, I mean, it's um, just—so we'll see. You know, this ruling means he's going to have to talk. Uh, I— I kind of doubt he's going to take it all the way to the Supreme Court, because he got part of what he wanted right. on the speech or debate clause. So um, so maybe he'll actually sit down, and, um, and and they'll have to deal with the jelly.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: mean, look, I mean, they might not be ready for this jelly, as right. one might say. Look, I mean, the reality is, Nick, I mean, he does—in the end, you can't foresee, can you—even this Supreme Court, as awful as they are, that majority ruling that Pence doesn't have to talk, right? If you went that far.
0: No, no, it's not going to go that far. Um, There's no executive privilege. This was all decided back in 1974 in Watergate and U.S. v. Nixon. There's no executive privilege for conversations relating to an insurrection or an illegal act. It just doesn't cut it. So he's going to testify And I think he's going to tell the truth. I mean, he's got a lot to say. One, he was a key figure in all of this. Everything that Trump was doing after the election was leading up to January 6th and Mike Pence throwing out those electors that came in for Joe Biden. He had the phony electors lined up. He was calling state legislators. He was trying to put in a puppet attorney general in in order to get the legislatures to overturn their votes for Joe Biden in the battleground states. I mean, Mike Pence is a critical witness here. In fact, I would go so far as to say it would be prosecutorial misconduct not to put this guy into the grand jury and get his story in stone, get it out there. Because who knows what he's going to say six months from now, a year from now, when this case (laughs) actually goes to trial. It's very important. For the Department of Justice to know exactly what his testimony is against Donald Trump,
1: and let me play just just from for, for, I mean this is all like bad flashbacks, but this is the testimony from Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump's daughter, um, that talked about the way that her father, and uh, she was his key advisor, not just his daughter, was talking about Mike Pence, literally leading up to the insurrection. Here is this testimony.
5: It was a different tone than I'd heard him take um, with. The vice president before. The word that she relayed to that the president called the vice president. I apologize for being impolite, but do you remember what she said? Her father called him. The p word.
1: So, uh, Eugene, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the reality is Donald Trump—one thing that really was made clear in mm-hmm. the January 6th investigation yeah. is that the entire scheme ran through Mike Pence, mm-hmm. and that it hinged on getting Mike Pence, pressuring him, yeah. using threats against his life, right. using whatever it took mm-hmm. to get him to, to flip and to do something illegal, to, to commit right. a crime and violate the electoral counter and pretend he could change the election. But if he wouldn't do it—and it was clear that Donald Trump believed mm-hmm. that if he didn't do it, he deserved what he got.
2: Exactly. And this was like the final chance. Right. Yes. Because everything else that Trump had tried had failed. Right. Um, he, you know, he did the Brad Raffensperger didn't find him the 11,780 votes or right. whatever. Um, uh, it, it, none of these ridiculous court cases went anywhere. They all, you know, 60 of them lost. So Pence was. Basically, all the money he had was on pets. Right. He was the only person who could do something, except, of course, he couldn't because <laughs> he did not have the authority to unilaterally decide the winner of the U.S. presidential election. Yep. How about that?
1: Uh, how about that? <laughs> and you know, and there is this—you know—there is this great piece uh, that I reread today uh, that Jonathan Swan wrote, uh, Nick. That is about this December 18 meeting. Now, this is the this is the night before the infamous December 19. It's going to be wild. Tweet. There's this. Just wild meeting between Pat Cipollone, uh, Mike Hershorn. His last name is Hershorn. Who was uh, Donald Trump's. I mean, Donald Trump's like White House lawyer—Hirschman, sorry, Hirschman, who was white, the White House lawyer, and various characters from uh, Donald Trump's sort of imagine, imaginary friends list, you know, Michael Flynn, um, Sidney Powell, Rudolph Giuliani, all of those characters, in which they're trying to to, to force—you know, they were trying to get him to believe and get his White House team to accept their theory that this foreign interference had happened and flipped votes. Here is a CBS News report about— um, the focus of that from the special counsel, so sources directly familiar with witnesses and questions, asked, uh, uh, tell me that it's clear that special, the special counsel is now tightening the January 6th probe around Trump and his inner circle with a focus on that infamous 12-18-20 Oval Office meeting and efforts to push national security DOJ officials— to overturn the election witnesses have been pressed in recent weeks about Giuliani, Sidney Powell and others who sought to use levers of government to stop the uh, certification of the election and sources directly involved believe the case on the cons- uh, is, would be a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding and that could be in the works uh, and by the way that is the meeting um Nick in which there was it was floated at least or it had been floated by Sidney Powell that voting machines should be seized Dominion voting machines were being accused of flipping the election and we now know that the special counsel's office has wants to talk to Mark Powell, required they're going to get to talk to Mark Meadows, chief of staff Dan Scavino, Stephen Miller, um, John Ratcliffe, the former director of national intelligence, and uh, Robert O'Brien, who's a national security advisor. So they're, it's moving. But do you think that's where it's moving, to conspiracy, okay. to obstruct an official proceeding?
0: Oh, no question about it. They're using government levers. They're using government agencies. I mean, right up until the end, when Mike Pence was almost forced to leave the Capitol with the Secret Service. I think there's going to be proof that Trump actually interfered with the Secret Service to get Mike Pence as far away from the Capitol as possible so he could push it over to the next day and try and get the electors back to the states and get the states to do something. What is really going to be interesting is what Mike Pence says about that and what he thinks was going on. That would be one of the first questions I'd ask him right out of the box.
2: You know, it, um, that's the amazing thing, right? He didn't get in the car. He wouldn't right. leave the Capitol. On that day, he did the right thing. Why won't he own that? <laughs> why, why won't he own that, it, at least for history's sake? He's yeah. not going to be president. But... For history's sake, own it. You did the right thing on
1: January 6th. It seems like the Occam's razor answer is that he thinks that if he owns it, then he cannot be president and that he has some sort of fantasy life in which he believes that if he just pretends that he doesn't want to testify that he's still with Trump, he can be
2: president. There needs to be an intervention
1: because (laughs) I just don't see it. Does
2: anybody think he's going to be president? I think mother, the wife, his wife might think so. You think? Really? I think she
1: might believe it. I mean, and the thing is, (laughs) Nick, I mean, the reality is— the the idea that Donald Trump is running for president is also his protection, in his view, right? Running for president is his insurance policy. He's also got this committee in the House that is doing this weaponization investigation. So, he thinks that he's got some backstops. But in the end, do you think that Jack Smith has a case against Donald Trump for obstructing uh, an official proceeding? Does he have a case?
0: Yes, of course he has a case. I mean, particularly with Mike Pence's testimony and all the other testimony we heard from the January 6th committee. I mean, he can say that he's going to continue to run for president even if he's indicted, but that isn't going to happen. I mean, he's not going to be able to do it. It's not a good look. You've got congressmen, you've got senators, you've got the dog catcher. They're all running for re-election <laughs> on the Republican ticket. They're going to get, they go to a conference. The first question in any citizen meeting is going to be, What do you have to say about this guy who's been indicted three times and he's the head of your party? This is the law and order party. Come on. It's just not going to cut it.
1: Uh, (laughs) We we shall see. Uh, Eugene Robinson and Nick Ackerman. I don't know. Uh, Thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout, if you are sick, sick and tired of America's out of control gun violence as I am, I have a crazy suggestion. Just hear me out. Stop voting for the politicians who are enabling it. The Readout continues after this.
5: and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future.
1: After yet another horrific school shooting, this time in Tennessee, the Nashville Police Department has released video, and very quickly, we might add, of the terror unleashed in that attack that killed six people, including three children. This surveillance video that you see here shows the shooter arriving at the Covenant school, carrying what police called an assault-type rifle, and wearing a tactical vest with another rifle visible. There is also body cam footage, and we're about to play it, and we must warn you, it is graphic. But we're going to show it to you for three reasons. One, so that more of us can understand the abject terror unleashed in a school shooting. Two, to prove that there is no way a teacher alone can take down a shooter armed with a weapon of war. The way that trained police can do. And third, to show you how police are supposed to respond, further proving how the delayed, incompetent, and one might say cowardly response in Uvalde, Texas, when officers waited more than an hour outside the classrooms where the gunmen killed 21 people, to show that that was a complete disgrace.
2: Right, right, right.
3: Push the LPBO.
1: Push the LPBO. Go right. Move, move. What you just saw occurred in an elementary school where cubbies held tiny jackets and backpacks and lunch boxes. And by the way, no other country does this to their children, forcing little kids to live and die like this. It is literally just us. There are 120 guns for every 100 Americans, according to the small arms survey. That is the highest rate of private gun ownership of any country on earth, including Yemen, a country in the throes of a nine-year civil war. The Republican Party's answer to this sickness will also make you sick. When asked what he would do to protect young children, one Tennessee lawmaker simply noted that he homeschools his daughter, so his family's good. As for the rest of America, well, what can you do?
0: We're not going to fix it. Criminals are going to be criminals. And my daddy fought in the Second World War, fought in the Pacific, fought the Japanese. And he told me, he said, buddy, he said, if somebody wants to take you out and doesn't mind losing their life, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it.
1: <laughs> oh, well, that infuriating, dismissively cruel attitude is why another Tennessee lawmaker, a Democrat and also a father, took his Republican colleagues to task.
3: My children, I don't know about yours, but my children are worth every damn assault rifle in this country and more. There ain't a person in here that wants to take someone's handgun or shotgun or hunting rifle away from them. We don't need an assault rifle with 30-shot capacity on our street. It's not safe for our police. It's not safe for anybody. So please don't say you're pro-life and then vote to put more weapons on the street, Representative Mitchell. You are. Hey, no, I will speak.
2: No, will... sir, you're under welcome and honoring, and you need to stay. I'm, I'm, Representative. Welcome, no.
1: Joining me now is the man in that clip, Tennessee State Representative Bo Mitchell. And I will note, for those who haven't seen the full video, you then said, you know who we're not welcoming and honoring? The, those people who died, including three little kids in that in that school. I wonder if any of your colleagues, after your comments, uh, sir, came forward and answered uh, your question of whether our children are worth more uh, than their assault ri- assault rifles.
3: Oh, you know, many of my colleagues— on the other side of the aisle, know what the right thing to do is. It, you know, I, I don't know if it's peer pressure or just fear of reprisal from the NRA or fear of a primary, but they know what's right.
1: And you, you know, this, talk.
3: Go on. Go ahead. Sorry. No, right. no, you go. <laughs> I mean, th- this is the sixth mass shooting in our state this year. We've had 17 children have lost their lives. Twenty one others have been wounded. You know, how much more do we have to endure?
1: You've talked about uh, being, uh, you know, in that 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 sort of response center where parents were going um, to see if their children were going to make it. Um, Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't mind, would you just tell us what that was like?
3: Unbelievable. You know, I, I was just in amazement of these people sitting there for hours on end waiting for the police to call them up to bring them downstairs to reunite them with their children so they'd know if their child's alive or dead uh you know and unfortunately during that time period they had notified one parent and it was undescribable incomprehensible the sounds that came from that parent. If my colleagues could have just been in that room to witness that, I think that would change a lot of hearts and minds.
1: You know, th- this country has a, a, a very particular uh, adoration for guns uh, in some communities. I mean, we have like 120 guns for every person or something in, wild. I think the next closest country is Yemen, and it's like 60 for every hundred. Um, or I think we're 120 for every hundred. You um, Has anyone explained to you how that is supposed to make us safer and how that makes children safer?
3: If more guns were the answer, Tennessee would be one of the safest places on the planet. But unfortunately, we're one of the leaders in the nation in gun violence. Uh, so guns don't seem to be the answer. They seem to be you know, a major part of the problem, except, especially assault rifles. I mean, there's no place in our society for an assault rifle. That's a weapon of mass killing. It has no other use other than warfare, and it doesn't need to be on the streets.
1: You know, you you've had a lot of Republicans essentially say that there's nothing that politics can do about this. But you know, if you just look at the statistics, politicians have made children safer from dying in cars. Cars used to be one of the leading killers of children. Uh now it is guns. Um it used to be cancer. You know, people can pass laws that make you know cancer drugs cheaper. Like being in politics, your job is to actually solve problems. But they're sort of making it sound like this is a problem that's unsolvable. And you have—the congressman that represents this district um, on the federal side put up this now infamous Christmas card. He's taken it down off his social media. He said today he has no regrets about putting up that photo. Um, and in your state legislature, you're, it's overwhelmingly Republican, people who agree with him on this issue of gun reform um, or of whether people should have more guns. I think your state is trying to make it easier for more people to have guns. Have you— noticed among fellow Democrats in the state of Tennessee the idea of directly addressing the people who are voting that way and why they're voting to keep people in office who refuse to protect them and protect their kids?
3: You know, unfortunately, it's it's so many one-issue voters in our state. Uh, they will vote on one particular issue. But the majority of Tennesseans— know that we need to do something about the guns in this state. You know, I saw a clip you had another congressman from Tennessee on. I was elected to do something. I was elected to act, you know, by putting my head in the sand and saying, oh, there's nothing we can do. Laws won't help. That's just not true. After Sandy Hook, the state of Connecticut, they passed assault weapons ban, they passed a ban on high capacity magazines, and they expanded background checks. Gun deaths in Connecticut have went down forty two percent since then. I think it works.
1: And the thing is, is that right? It, it sort of is sort of shocking to me when people whose actual job, what they get paid to do, is in politics, is to solve problems. Say there is no solution when, as you said, the solution is quite obvious you can pass laws that make your community safer. But I I guess I just am a little flummoxed by the fact that people are so shocked when this happens, but then continue to vote for the people who are going to make it happen again.
3: It's astonishing. Uh, You know, you you hear the answer is, have a good guy with a gun. You know, they they would—they—they envision these Wild West shootouts, I guess, uh, and think that's an answer. You know, I don't know how the police, when they respond, they're supposed to decide who's the good guy with the gun.
1: Yeah. And in in a state that is legislating, you know, things like drag shows uh, to supposedly protect children from that, it's what a world. (laughs) Yeah. You know that. Yeah,
3: uh, exactly. You know, Right now, they're trying to allow 18-year-olds to have guns, as well as open carry of long rifles. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have people marching down the, you know, the streets of Nashville with their AR-15. It's a
1: it's a strange world we live in. Uh, Tennessee State Representative Bo Mitchell, thank you so much. I much appreciate it. Thank you, Joy. Thank you. And still ahead, uh, remember back in the day when America had a functioning House of Representatives? Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi sure does, and she joins me
4: next.
1: Every time this Congress is called on to do its job—like, I don't know, doing something about guns—Republicans collectively shrug their shoulders and tell the American people that we've gone about as far as we can go and that legislating emotional issues doesn't solve problems. Now, mind you, just four days ago, these same Republican politicians passed a Parents' Bill of Rights, which seeks to legislate the emotional culture wars that Republicans are waging in our schools. It's also interesting that they say they can't do anything at the same time the House Republican majority is wasting taxpayer money investigating Hunter Biden and his laptop, the supposed censorship of conservative voices on Twitter, and the treatment of January 6th insurrectionists. Those hearings have proven to be a flop because they just aren't popular with the public, maybe, because they don't actually solve any problems for the American people. It's all just literal emotional theater designed to assuage right-wing feelings, feelings, feelings. To date, Kevin McCarthy, who, believe it or not, is the Speaker of the House, has delivered nothing that I could actually list for you right now, except for the chaos that comes with aligning yourself with characters like Donald Trump and Marjorie Greene. It is pretty wild to think that it was just a few months ago that the 117th Congress came to a close. After proving to be one of the most productive in recent history, funding infrastructure in all 50 states, helping veterans who are exposed to toxic burn pits and lowering the cost of prescription drugs, including insulin. See, politics actually can solve people's problems. It is literally politicians' job. A key reason for that was the first female Speaker of the House and current Speaker Emerita, Nancy Pelosi. And she joins me now. Speaker Emerita Pelosi. Good to see you.
4: Always a pleasure to be with you, Joy. Thank you. And I
1: see your pin. We were talking, we're talking a lot about guns uh, this evening. And, 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 you know, it is a reminder that when you were running the House of Representatives, you actually did do something in terms of passing laws about guns. Why are we now hearing this paralysis?
4: Well, it is—I uh, think it's all about money, big gun money. I'm not talking about lobbying money at NRA. That's one thing. I'm talking about big— money in the gun business. These assault weapon bans are so lethal, so deadly, you can't even describe how they tear a body apart internally. And that we should have just have had another one yesterday. I mean, this week is so remarkable. Now, we passed the assault weapon ban in the 90s. I was here in the House. Chuck Schumer was our leader. We know how to get this job done with this bill. We just have to be able to get the Republicans to give us 60 votes in the Senate to save lives. They say, oh, well, it's politically this or that. And I say to them, your political survival is nothing compared to the survival of our children in their schools and their playgrounds in there, wherever they happen to be. So we have to get this done. And I see this pin. It's a, a assault weapon ban pin that I got from the kids. There's something called Generation Lockdown. And these young kids, some of them were at the Marjorie Stone School, some of them other places, but young people who are taking the lead— on getting an assault weapon ban. And yeah. one of them is in the Congress now, yeah. Maxwell. Uh, he's, Maxwell Frost. He, he's so wonderful. But I want this to be everybody's best piece of jewelry, Yeah, a ban on assault weapons. You know, I mean, the, the
1: polling shows that the <laughs> younger Americans, you know, as they're getting into the 18, able to vote, are feeling incredible stress about being forced to do these lockdown drills and learn to evade a shooter. Um, and that as they are coming into voting age, they are very focused on getting guns reform done. Given the, the makeup of the Congress now, and that they're spending a lot of time investigating Hunter Biden and sort of pretending that the government's being weaponized against conservatives on Twitter, is there—I mean, it seems to me that we can't even have a conversation about getting gun reform while this Congress is in place, this majority is in place. Is that accurate
4: to Well, say? we do have to just talk to the American people. Yeah. Uh, they are our bosses. And we really, as, as as Lincoln said, public sentiment is everything with it. You can accomplish almost anything without it, practically nothing. But there is support in the public. Yeah, overwhelming. To get this done, and we just have to make sure that members of Congress here... Uh, from their constituents. Now, the other side is very, very active on the public sentiment side. And we just have to make sure people know. Right now, in the race in Wisconsin, which is coming up soon uh, for a judgeship there, uh, the Wisconsin Republicans, far right-wing Republicans there, are putting out the word to gun owners, you must vote for Kelly. He's awful. And... uh, against the Democratic Judge Janet, who is there, who's wonderful, because of guns. Right. No, Judge Janet is not taking their gun away. She's not uh, interfering with their gun rights or anything else. But he's interfering with a woman's right to choose. He's interfering with who wins the election. In the last election in Wisconsin, four to three to accept the results of the election. Now, this race will determine what that That fourth seat will be again. And if they win on the gun thing, that means that we really there's a good chance that they will overturn the presidential election.
1: And speaking of that, so I want to show you uh, this is a piece of video from January 6th. Uh, Your daughter uh, shot this video um, and it is one of the most memorable moments, I believe, in your very, very memorable speakership. Let's play that if we could.
4: How are you? Oh, my goodness. Where are you? God bless you. But are you a very safe? have gotten a very bad report about the conditions of avoiding the um, house floor with defecation and all that kind of thing. I worry about you being in that Capitol Don't let anybody know where you are.
1: And of course you're speaking with Vice President then Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, are you surprised that it is required taken a subpoena to force him to testify when behind closed doors he's expressed the you, the outrage you would expect uh, by the fact that he could have been killed that day as could many of you. Are you surprised it's taken a subpoena for him to talk?
4: Well, he did the right thing that day and that is what was important. Sure. He did he honored the Constitution of the United States? Uh, the uh, he, now he has the subpoena. That's very interesting that they issued the rece- subpoena. He should accept the, that opportunity to tell his story, but he can always withhold information. That's his right to do. But I, uh, I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't. I hope that he would go there and show the truth. I mean, it, it, it's a very sad thing that has happened to our country, that they would have an assault on our constitution that day to certify who the president would be on our capital this pillar of democracy to the world on our congress of the united states they're out to to get us they're out to get me and stuff and of course him yeah. at the direction of Donald Trump. Yeah. A very sick person.
1: Well, I want to show, I have another picture. And this is a picture that I think became quite epic. And this is you, the lone woman in the room, standing up over uh, this cadre of Donald Trump and his officials. And, and that sort of, it sort of represented your, you know, willingness and ability to use power and to understand your power and understand your why. You're always talking about your why. And your why, I know, is the children. But how worried are you that Donald Trump could be president again and what damage he could do were he to regain the hmm. office?
4: Well, let me say, in that picture, we're not allowed to have phones or cameras or anything in the room. They took that picture, and then they put it out to show how to order I was a woman to stand up in that room of all white men. Actually, I think— I think Liz Cheney was in the room. I'm not sure, if yeah. she had the right to be. But nonetheless, overwhelmingly, uh, I don't. I think that we uh, spend too much time talking about him. Let's talk about what other possibilities are for the future, because this was a real taint on our democracy to have that person there. And it's no use even spending time going into it. Let's spend time on how we go into the future. What are the possibilities in terms of who they might nominate. But we cannot keep uh, giving him all the press he wants. This whole thing about his indictment coming out when he didn't really even know if he was going to be indicted, I don't think. I mean, how would he know? Right, He's not supposed to know. How would he know? And that's been a while. And for a week and a half, all we hear is about him. And that's exactly what he wanted. So let's forget a, let's put him aside and let's go into the future about ideas about our children and their future and gun safety so that they have a safe prospect as they go forward and not have to hide under their desk, yeah. uh, because of danger in the classroom because he has stirred that pot. He's talking about death and destruction in terms of his indictment death and destruction. Yeah. Does he not know no one is above the, the law, not yeah. even a former ex-impeached twice president yeah. and defeated president of the United States?
1: Well, I'm going to hold you just for just one moment. I have a, a little bit more time with you. So we're going to take a quick break. Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi is staying with us. Oh, we've
4: got a lot more to talk about. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot. <laughs> There's so much going on. The, of course, we have the
1: And I am back with Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi. Um, the current speaker, uh, Kevin McCarthy, has not acknowledged the shooting that took place in Tennessee, has avoided um, questions about it. Give him a grade on how he's doing in, in his job Is somebody who did it very well.
4: Well, let's hope that for something better to happen, because how can you ignore that? But when you see— who his, his constituents are within the Republican Party. The representative from that district is the same person who sent out a Christmas card with his wife and children holding rifles. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. And so that's—they're his bosses. <laughs> and so you can only expect him to do what his speakership allows. He has an ever-shrinking speakership because of how he made these promises. Yeah. And this is who is— who uh, Who were the people who were elected. I want to show
1: you this picture. This is actually a good one. This is um, you uh, at the unveiling of your portrait. It is unique in the Congress because you are the only woman uh, who Mm -hmm. has been Speaker of the House. There you are. There is your portrait, your lovely husband, Paul. And how is he doing?
4: You're nice to ask. Thank you for asking. Everybody asks. He's doing well. He has a couple more months to really be back to normal. Yeah. But it's so sad because he's as apolitical as they come. He's not political at all. And everybody loves Paul. They're after me and he gets hurt.
1: But it is, so that is an issue that the political violence that we've seen and the extremism that we've seen overtake the Republican party is something that's unavoidable. We end up talking about it on this show all the time. But there's also a, a sort of religious extremism that's taken place in the courts. You are the first speaker um, of the House and you now live in a, in a country that has taken women's abortion rights back to 1972. How do you reconcile the the sort of advancements that you represent and this retrograde movement in our country.
4: Well, it's, it's big. It's very big because in the history of our country, our founders with their beautiful vision of equality of people, that was not reflected in their documents, but thank heavens they made them amendable sure. to our Constitution. So for the history of our country, we have always been expanding freedom, the abolition of slavery, right to vote for men, then for women, and then um, uh, again, so many other things, uh, marriage equality and the rest of that. Until Dobbs. Dobbs said, we're reversing that. We're taking away freedoms that are guaranteed in the Constitution that have precedent established by this court. So this is a dangerous path that this court is on. Yeah. And it's horrible because it's it's a personal issue. It's a per- issue of faith, it's a kitchen table issue. It affects people in so many ways. I say that as a mother of five Paul and I have five children in 6 years and 1 week. Uh, and then that's I don't and we respect that other people make their own choices about what they do. And we have no politician, no Supreme Court justice, anybody has the right to tell women and families how they should live their lives. This is a horrible decision. And you you know what? It really uh, revealed itself in the election. They were going to win 40 seats. It was going to be a red tornado or whatever it was. (laughs) And what did they get? Five seats. And we yeah. will, hopefully will win that jobs. back with our new, fresh leadership in the yeah. Congress, Hakeem Jeffries.
1: You, you've always said one of my favorite sayings uh, that you say is you have to learn how to take a punch and you have to learn how to throw a punch for the children. That's right. Give some in the ad-
4: arena. In El the arena. arena.
1: <laughs> talk. Give some advice um, to those who are frustrated by our politics now um, about how you can start to get people to vote, not on— how politics will impact your religion, but how it will impact your life.
4: That's right. Because you're reminds, a religious person. It reminds me of that. Uh, we were talking, I was at Georgetown speaking the other day, and we talked about this. And I didn't say it then, but I say it now because you're the way you framed your question. When President Kennedy was running for president, he went to Houston. He spoke to all these ministers there. And the, the question is, What what religion do you believe in? Of course, as a Catholic, that was not going to be popular. And he said, it's not important what religion I believe in. What's important is what America I believe in. And that's what we have to be thinking in terms of taking it uh, to people. And I I have hope for this reason. I do think that many of the people who fell for uh, what's-his-name's line, because they just didn't see a path in the future, in the economy the way it was. I think many of them are really patriotic. I think some of them are racist and bigots, but I think many of them are very patriotic. I think young people have lost patience with all this, whether they're talking about gun violence, or we're talking about the role of money in politics, the role of money. If you take that role of that money out, think of what it would mean. The fossil fuel industry could not dominate. The gun industry could not dominate. The pharmaceutical industry could not dominate. And people could see a connection between their kitchen table needs and what is happening in Washington or in in politics. And we're very proud of the record we had in the past two years. Record breaking under President Biden. He's just a remarkable president, a great leader, visionary, strategic, knowledgeable, heart to heart, empathetic president. And again, I couldn't say more about my members. They were so so courageous to vote the way they did. But we still have to remember that the people are the boss and they have to know. And we have to tell over and over again and listen all the time. Yeah. All the time.
1: Uh, Speaker Emerita uh, Nancy Pelosi, happy Women's History
4: Month. Yes. You are
1: a part of our Women's History (laughs) (laughs) Month uh, and you will go down in history, I Mm -hmm. will argue, as if not the greatest speaker of the House, (laughs) you're definitely in the top (laughs) (laughs) Two.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, when women succeed, America succeeds. succeeds. Happy Women's History I'm Month. I'm going to give you number one. Speaker, Emerita Nancy Pelosi. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you. It's such an honor. My pleasure. Thank you. I'll Thank be right you. back. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all for
1: watching. That's tonight's readout.
3: Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com app to download.